Hello everyone, this is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love, and today we're in heart, uh, the heart of the artist talk. And today we have a very special person. He is an Welcome artist, he's a poet, the Soul talk podcast. and his name a is Eddie Vega. Eddie, is, uh, Eddie Vega is a poet, spoken Join award me. artist, a storyteller, and educator. His poetry has been displayed on bosses and downtown San Antonio building. His first uh, full-length collection poetry, Chicharras Chorus, was published in, in 2019 by Flower Song Press, and he's, and he's in 2021 recipient of the Literary Arts Grant for the Luminaria Artist Foundation. Vega writes about food, Tejano culture, social uh, justice, and in, in their sections, uh, therefore. Known as the Taco Poet of Texas, he can be founded in the Open Mic Slam and taqueria on any given non-quarantine um, evening. Uh, well, yes, the world have changed uh, since 2020, and hopefully we don't get in lockdown again. <laughs> Good for the arts. <laughs> <laughs> and it is really my pleasure to have you here, and thank you for accepting my invitation. Thank you for having me. And uh, Eddie... Um, I am an artist, I'm a poet, and we all go for different process and in, uh, in this, and each one of us is different. All of all of the artists and each one of the medias actually are also different. And uh and in my discovering of being a poet, I I did not name myself poet until later on when I had my cultural center. But how was your process of discovering you were a poet? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, because usually people ask uh, how long you've been writing, uh, but they don't ask when did you know you were a poet, and that's so that's a very different question. Uh -huh. um, I, I don't I don't think uh, like you I don't think I called myself a poet right away. I waited for somebody else to do it. I thought that it would be that I could. I didn't think that I had the right to call myself a poet um, until it was I was recognized as a poet by others um so that's part of that that uh realization um so I, i love it now when people call me call me a poet i feel like it's a it's an esteemed title hmm. yes it's it's hard because most of the artists we the they, they teach us control your ego so it is very hard to actually we believe in ourselves yes yes exactly i still have you know and i have I don't know. I don't know. If there's a diagnosis or anything, but um, imposter syndrome, you know, where you think that uh, you aren't very good at what you do. And it doesn't matter that people are telling you that you're good um, because you still don't feel that you're worthy of all the accolades and all the praise. Uh, and it's and I'm still in the middle of that. You know, I have this great big grant that I got this year and and yet I'm still like asking people, do you, do you mind if I read at your open mic? You know, is this okay? And, uh, and they're like, of course, you can come over and, and do this. And, and But I still have to feel, I feel a little humble asking uh, their questions, you know, their, their, uh, for their permission. Yes, it is a process to we start embodying who we are and our passion. 
And talking about your passions, I I read that you're also um, a teacher, uh, educator, right? right. And um, when you became a, a poet, and because oh, you were a poet since before even you were named a poet <laughs> to others, but when you became a poet, do you do you want to do this job full time or? How do you divide your creative process with your job? Because uh -huh. it's, it's a very hard one for all the artists. Oh yeah, yes. Um, well, you know, truthfully, I didn't. I, I've been writing for a long time, and I've always wanted to be a writer. Um, and but my uh, degree is in theology, and I was actually a missionary for a little bit. I was doing social justice work in Veracruz and Oaxaca. Mm. Um, So that was my theology focus, and I did service, and I did teaching. And when I teach, I teach at a Catholic high school, and it's in theology. Um, and then 10 years ago or 11 years ago, um, I got divorced. And then uh, I, I had all this time and uh, alone. So that's when I really, really started the poetry, and I started the writing and um, in in that So that when my students first knew me, I was just the teacher. I was their religion teacher, their theology teacher. And then a few years after that, uh, um, then all of a sudden I was the poet who was also a teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I compartmentalize it and sometimes I don't. So that sometimes in the classroom I share poems, even though it's not a poet or an English class. But I share poems that are relevant. Um, I have my students do assignments that are basically poetry. I have them do haiku about their service experiences. Uh, I have them do, um, um, what are they called? Uh, the, the name escapes me uh, right now. But I have them do poems where uh, they have to describe something. Um, and, they, and I give them a line limit and whatnot. Um, I have them describe themselves. Sometimes I have an assignment where you have to describe yourself as a recipe. What's the recipe of yourself, of who you are? That's basically a poem. So I've incorporated some of the poetry into the classroom. And then as far as my creative process, my students um, are inspiration all the time. Their stories, uh, their struggles, um, a lot of that, I think, finds its way. What I would like to tell them, I think, as advice as young people, as young people, That all filters into the poetry, um, but I really do see I see poetry everywhere. So there's there's lots of inspiration in a lot of different places um, that I pick up on, and somehow it makes it into the classroom eventually. Yeah, I I can see that. I I was teaching uh, a while back uh, Spanish, and yes, I incorporate poetry in there. And uh, well. Um, I we all have rituals for our when our creative process mm -hmm. doesn't matter if you're a painter or a musician or a poet or a dancer or whatever we all have different rituals and they're all different because we're all unique. What is your uh, your, ritual. <laughs> your ritual? Funny. No, no, I I um, I'm at my desk and uh, I have this empty bottle because I've been I ritualized using a. Mexican Coca-Cola uh, as part of my writing process. I feel I have to have caffeine, but specifically 
this caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> this particular type of caffeine is the one that I'm looking for and this particular type of sugar. And I get to my computer and um, that's when I start creating. That could be, now that's not always the actual, I don't just get to the computer and start writing. Um, usually it's, um, this is when I get to the computer, it's because I'm, I'm writing it down, I'm editing, I'm putting something together, and I work with, um, I have at least one Coca-Cola Mexicana uh, while I'm doing that. And um, right now I have sweet tea because I, I don't, I run out of Coke. But um, the, um, I, you know, my process, I guess, starts with a line, something that I, it's interesting. I listen to people all the time. Um, the, the people here in San Antonio are my, uh, my biggest muses, the, their conversations that they have, uh, things that I just pick up at the grocery store, sometimes even the parking lot of the grocery store. Um, I go to Woodlawn Lake, this park that's very close to my, uh, my house. And I, and I, and I listen to people, I watch people, um, and, uh, everything about it is just very, very beautiful to me. The way that our culture, uh, or the way that I see our culture, still out there in the people, and a lot of that is what I write about. Uh, and I write, I, I put a little note down in my phone, if I don't have my journal, especially, but I put a note in my phone, um, and my note, my notes app is full of just lines, and sometimes I remember what I why I wrote it down, and sometimes I don't, and eventually that those flow into becoming a poem. Um, something creative after that. Yeah, for me, they come like little phrases or little things, and it will not let me, let me go. Even I'm driving, and uh-huh. oh, and I can't let it go. So I, I just grab the phone, record it, so then I can breathe and I can continue driving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of people, you know, they see me staring. My friends, uh, when we're hanging out, they'll see me staring to space. And uh, that's because I'm thinking of that line. I'm thinking of what I'm going to write, put it down, and I'm just observing. And they've learned to just leave me alone. <laughs> and then they come back. Then I can breathe and go back to the conversation. That's one of my questions that I was going to ask you uh, about our relationships with others. As an artist, it was it was easy for me to deal with with artists because we were all in a creative mood sometimes. You know, like, okay, they just get a, um, I had a, a cultural center in here, McAllen, Texas. So sometimes you can find them, I don't know, in a napkin doing some drawings or doing some poetry or uh-huh. someone gets with a guitar and start you know, jamming in there. And, um, and the regular people that are not artists, for them, it was very weird, you know, to be around any of us. So... I came to my understanding too. It was easy for me to be around artists. And now I am a coach and now around or coaches or people that are like that or artists than being around regular people because for them we're too weird. Or <laughs> what is your what is your experience for for you? We are uh, uh, weird and uh and a good weird. So I've enjoyed my time being an artist here in the city. Today is second Saturday. Uh, which is when we have the art walk, the second art walk. We have First Friday, um, but then First Friday got too much of a party scene, so then they created Second Saturday, uh, and that's when the artists go and hang out, see each other's artwork, and 
I'm, I, I've already planned a few days out of going there to go hang out with my brother and sister and fellow artists. Um, because of that, my regular, I would say, I hate to say regular friends, but my non-artist friends, um, I've known them for a long time. Um, my good friends, we, we've uh, been through a lot together. They knew me before I was a poet and an artist. Um, so we have different conversations about different things and they, and they, they give me the space and they're very, very supportive of my work and they, they buy my books, you know, even the little chapbooks that I sell on my own. So that's, that's always, I've always enjoyed that about my, my friends. Um, uh, and then my family, um, my parents, my sister are very, very supportive uh, of me. Uh, and now my, my significant other, my girlfriend also very, very supportive of the art. She actually found me through the poetry scene. Uh, so she's very supportive of that too. Um, but yeah, the conversations are, are a little bit different and I have to remember sometimes that I am not around creatives when I'm around my non-creative friends. Um, so we see the world a little bit different and um, just talk about different things. You mentioned that you were divorced and now you have a girlfriend. I noticed that the creative process when we're heartbroken or when we're in love is uh, how it works for you. Oh yeah, I told. I actually, I told her. I don't know that we can be together because then I won't have anything to write about. I need to be. I need to be disappointed and heartbroken, and uh, that's the only way I can create. And uh, she didn't like that answer, of course. But yeah. uh, <laughs> and and so I, I actually asked a lot of uh, friends. I asked uh, other creative people what they thought about that. And they wouldn't say much about it. Uh, but the best answer that I got uh, was from one of my mentors. Uh, Jesse Cardona, who said that our art begins with some sort of discontent. Or content when you're so in love. <laughs> you could say, yeah, that's what my girlfriend was saying. Well, maybe you'll be inspired to write other things. I'm like, well, yes, that's true. Um, but I like the idea of the discontent because I could still be in love, but I could be discontent. It doesn't have to be about just uh, romantic feelings. Um, because I'm often discontent with the world around us and it's not, uh, it, it, you know, I'm discontent about, uh, our government or discontent about the weather or global warming or, um, anything else out there that just is something that I feel that I need to express, uh, starting with this form. So it's a shift for me because I'm not writing the heartbroken poetry anymore, uh, or the, Uh, dissatisfied uh, love life poetry. I am now uh, I'm writing about different things, putting things together. I remember in Art Awakenings, um, where uh, my cultural center that I have, in fact, Chris Carmona worked for me. He was uh, he was one of my assistants in there. And, no, no, it's Jesse Cardona, not Chris Carmona. Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> And I got confused with the Carmona. I'm so sorry about that. Okay. He's also a poet. He's also a writer. <laughs> well, uh, in that time, we had poetry slams. And it was a lot of fun that time when we had poetry slams. Mm -hmm. That was in the 2004 or something like that. And uh, But how I've been disconnected from that scene for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, How is in San Antonio uh, working up? Um, you see, it was a 
because it was fun. I don't know if it continue being fun. In uh-huh. that time, we have the Poetry Slam in HBO. And that okay. time when I started, but now is not uh, anymore in HBO or nothing like that. So how is now the, the scene as a Poetry Slam? It is easy for the poets? It continue as fun as it used to be? Or I, and remember, I, and remember that, that we have many spectators right now. They're going to be seeing us that they don't know what is a poetry slam. Okay. Can you also explain them, please? Sure, sure. So um, we have poetry open mic, which is when you just go and you express yourself. You have a poem you want to read. The mic is open to anyone. A poetry slam is a competition. And that's the biggest difference is that you can read any poem you want at a poetry slam, um, but you're going to be judged. And you have a parameter of three minutes and 10 seconds. Uh, and also you can't use any props, right? So the artistic poem that you might find at the open mic may not work to affect a crowd because you want to be, you want to affect as many people. Well, you want to affect the judges that are judging you, but really the entire crowd. Um, so that's the biggest difference. Uh, a po- um, poetry slam poets are spoken word poets usually. Uh, that's how we would distinguish ourselves. Um, I don't like to call myself a slam poet. I call myself a poet that does slam. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I do find a lot spoken word. And I'm trying to transition actually from just spoken word to also being a, a book poet, someone who writes because uh, I have a book and I am trying to work, I'm working on another book. Um, but as far as the scene goes, we have a slam in San Antonio. It's a lively scene still. Um, we, uh, be, you know, before the pandemic, of course, we had a lot more traveling poets, uh, spoken word artists, uh, slam poets who would come into town uh, for a feature. Uh, sometimes they can bring and draw in a crowd because of their name, because People in the in the community or people in the scene uh, know who they are, and I was a part of that. I was a part of bringing them in. When we uh, transitioned into the pandemic, we transitioned into a scene where we could now go anywhere because uh, it, was, it was virtual, and, and I got to be a featured artist in Albuquerque and in Charlotte um, and different places around the country um, because of that. And then, you know, personally. I was part of an interview show, a little bit like this, where we interviewed poets um, as a, like a little podcast. Um, so that that's how the, the scene is still lively. I'm on, I actually sit on the board of the Southern Fried Poetry Slam, and it's the longest poetry slam, longest running poetry slam in the country. Uh, we we're heading into our twenty eighth, twenty ninth year, and we, uh, with the exception of twenty twenty. There's been a, a regional slam, which takes place over three to four days, um, usually somewhere in the south. Um, my first time going was in Little Rock. We were in Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas. And I'm sorry, Fay- uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, in Greensboro, in Louisville, Kentucky. And we got to host it in 2018. We hosted it here in San Antonio. So then every um, the, the slam scene and the spoken word scene, remembered who we were in San Antonio and they would come and they'd, they'd come through and, and feature at our venues. And uh, some of them slept on my couches. Um, so it, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a very good community. I think um, we, we talk of course on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram. Um, 
and um, so we kind of keep in touch with each other as as artists uh, in that sense. That is good because I something that I do noticed uh, between the community of artists in almost all the world. I'm not gonna say only poets or only painters or only musicians. There is a lot of competition and a lot of um, friction between uh -huh. them. Why you think is that? I think it's part of the creative process. Um, you know, and I kind of remember, and I'm, I guess earlier when you asked about uh, talking to other creatives, uh, if I'm being honest, uh, I, I have now gotten to the point where I have creative differences with other artists. And um, that maybe leads to the, to the friction of other, you know, you, you're at the same place and you, maybe you acknowledge each other because you have respect. Uh, but that's as far as it's going to go. And, um, and it ebbs and flows. I remember there, there was a poet who sometimes didn't talk to me, uh, who now hugs me, you know? So it kind of goes and because, and then, and there's the, some pettiness. Uh, I heard the story of, who was it? I think it was, um, Archibald MacLeish or, um, the, this poet who was reading at the same time as Robert Frost. They were at the same reading, and Robert Frost was very upset that he was reading before this other poet. Uh, he wanted to read at the end. He thought himself the headliner. So when the other poet was doing his 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 reading, uh, Robert Frost actually lit a trash can on fire. Oh wow! To take away the attention, and um, I kind of I, and I and, and so when I go around town sometimes and I see some of the competitiveness and the pettiness that we have. I kind of think of that story and I think we're not much different, but we're not that extreme either. <laughs> we're not going to hopefully go and light a trash can on fire. Um, but yeah, I think that, that, that for whatever reason that just exists. I think that, and I, I've, I've looked at other artists, uh, painters and sculptors in the Renaissance, and they were very petty towards each other and very competitive. And then they're probably because they're competing for the same contract, the same money uh, for for commissions, um, and that happens now too. You, you, I, I hear. I don't. I don't necessarily feel this way. I, I like to support each other, you know. But um, I know that sometimes I know that I've been unfriended in some by on Facebook by other artists who said, "Well, why did he get that? Why did he get that award? Or why did he get that bid?" You know. And, um, what can you know? What can you do if you don't get it? I mean, there's going to be 50 people applying. One only one person can get it. Um, what do you do? You're going to be mad at that one person every time. That just doesn't. I don't think that's very healthy. Yes, and we all have. We're all different. Like I, I have mentioned several times in different interviews that even if we we get a theme to to paint or to write about. We're all going to paint it different. We're going to all write it different. We all have our own way to express ourselves, and it doesn't matter with the media. So in reality, we're all unique. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to to copy someone else or try to live for someone else, that's when you look use your uniqueness, and that's when you're going to go into competition. That's yeah. my point of view. <laughs> uh, and you can't emulate. You can't. You can't be copying. You can't. Um, I mean, you can always borrow from people because I think that we're all in the same creative atmosphere. I know sometimes I read something and I think that doesn't sound like the normal rhythm in which I read a poem. Why, why was that? 
And then I'll hear another poet. I'm like, oh, that's what it was. I was listening to that poet and I caught their rhythm. And that's why this poem came out this way. Um, but yeah, we, and we react to each other. That's why I also enjoy the open mic and the slam scene because I go and I get inspired. They write about something in some way and I think, mm, maybe not. And then they, the same thing happens to me. I have a poem. Uh, there was, okay, let me start. There was a, a guy up on the stage who did a poem in the form of a resolution where he kept saying the word, whereas, right? Whereas we have now noticed, you know, et cetera, whereas. And I sat back there and I thought it was funny. Uh, and I thought, well, instead of whereas, I'm going to say whereas. So I, have a, I wrote a poem about whereas, right? Uh, and I didn't mean to write it about um, fair-skinned uh, Latinas. I was writing about white women, right? And then, uh, but I read it a couple of times, and then uh, a fair-skinned uh, Latina woman heard it, and she, she was a little offended by the whereas, because she's a huera. And she wrote her poem about Weras and, you know, et cetera. And then I stopped doing my poem about Weras because <laughs> I was like, no, maybe I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have gone there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's how we do it. We, 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 we learn from each other. We, we build from each other. And something I was reading in your, in your bio that you can inspire your poetry through food. Oh, yes. And uh, explain me a little bit more why uh, food. I love food, but, uh, but how it got the inspiration. Is it tacos or what it is? <laughs> food, food, food is because food is, is culture. Food is family. Uh, food is um, the, 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 the best that, that we have in life that, you know, the myrrh or the, the, the nectar that the gods eat, you know, that's, that's what we eat is our food, right? Our ambrosia or whatever. It's our food. Um, and how many times have you had something that you've been into that was just so beautiful, right? That, that just tasted so well. And then how many times did you taste something so well, so good that it reminded you of another time that it reminded you of how your mother made it or your grandmother made it or a, a certain restaurant you went to, at a certain point in your life and you know so food that the, the that food is very very inspiring um and i think especially in in our mexican american culture um you know i write i you know i started writing a little bit about tacos and eventually it got out of hand and uh i'm a, but I, there's more about the taco than just the taco a taco is a political statement now You know, uh, a taco is um, it, it, it is a cultural statement. It is a geographic statement. Um, it's more than just a taco. Um, and that that's where I, that's when I say I write about food, people think, oh, it's just okay. That's that's kind of funny. But I think, you know, I had a whole workshop. I do a workshop on food poetry um, and I, I asked them to write not just about the food, but write about your favorite meal. What was your favorite meal and why is it your favorite meal? And somebody wrote about Fred's fish fry. I don't know if you're familiar with Fred's fish fry here in San Antonio. It's this little chain of that they sell fried fish and um, it doesn't have a very good reputation. People don't like going to Fred's fish fry, but it's cheap, right? Mm -hmm. They make fun of it. 
And this girl said, you know, when we grew up, uh, we grew up poor, but the one treat that we had is that once a month, my dad would bring home a whole bunch, a whole big box of Fred's fish fry. And it wasn't great, but it was a great time to be together. We were all sharing in that. And it was uh, the experience that my dad brought this all for us. And it totally transformed this idea of this, uh, this little franchise here in town. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots, there's so much more that we can write about regarding our food. That, that is true. That is true. And then um, I wanted to ask you also, we have several questions that I, so I don't forgot the, that I write it down. Um, and also, obviously, you, you talk about, um, it's, it has to do with politics that you also write and uh, also Tejano culture. Uh, social justice, I'm sorry, that's what you said. Social justice, those are your themes, your main themes, right? Yeah. How you got in, uh, you get inspired about that? Uh, of the, the, how do I get inspired about the Hano culture? Well, I think that, that goes with the food part too. Um, I think it took a long time for me to recognize that I am not a Mexicano because I was born in McAllen and Uh, I've lived in South Texas most of my life, um, so I can't. But, but I'm and I am American, an American citizen. So you could say I'm Mexican American. Um, but I think that uh, I most identify myself as being a Tejano, uh, a South Texan, somebody who has uh, a Mexican cultural background, um, who can speak Spanish. But when he speaks Spanish. Uh, it's not always correct. It's, you know, it's a little pocho. And then when I uh, speak English, people say that I speak with an accent. So when I finally have put that all together and, and then have a, a sense of pride about my identity, I say that it's Tejano. Uh, so it's more than just like a genre of music. Um, it's the fact that our enchiladas have yellow cheese on them, and that's okay. And that... Um, Our um, our tacos come on flour tortillas, you know, and, and that's the way that we have them. And if I want to have a taco with with, uh, with corn tortilla, that's going to be okay too. Um, and if I want to have breakfast tacos, um, I can do that. And people up north, they call them burritos, but we're going to call them ta breakfast tacos. Well, the north of Mexico is actually more flour tortillas. And the center to south is uh, the corn tortillas. Right, exactly. I think that's then, and that that's how I. That's also like I guess part of the the distinctions that are made is that when people say um, authentic Mexican food, well, it's only authentic to the region where they come from. Yeah, and um, they don't see the other regions. So when you say I'm going to have barbacoa. Uh, for the northern Mexican, that means the head of the cow uh, that's steamed overnight in a hole in the ground um, and eaten in the morning at breakfast, um, you know, etc. But I lived in Veracruz, and when they said barbacoa, sometimes it was mutton, and sometimes it was goat, goat because barbacoa is a method. It's not a meat. But they do it in People different ways. It. I was raised in Veracruz. Uh-huh. 
and uh, and they they do chicken. I have tried barbacoa chicken. I have tried of uh, even of rabbit. Yes, it's, yes, exactly. And then if you ask the average person along the border here what barbacoa is, and you tell them that you had it with chicken, they're gonna look at you like 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 you're wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah, and you know that you're right um, because it's different because it's according to our own experience and to our own like regional background. So when we say enchiladas, for example. Mm-hmm. I've had enchiladas in Mexico that were rolled. Some of them were folded. Uh, some of them had a sauce on top. Some of them only had onions on top. Uh, they had all different types of cheese, different types of fillings, um, all these different things. And when we say enchiladas in South Texas, sometimes they're on a red tortilla with chile con carne on top of it. And then we get made fun of because, oh, those aren't enchiladas. Well, how are they not enchil- as much as enchilada? As the one as the other ones because you all have very very different kinds of enchiladas they're not exactly like the one that you in particular are thinking of well i would like to ask you um i know it's very hard to to be an artist and be and survive as an artist and more in poetry books uh i i've been working for a with a poetry book for a long long time and then i put it in the side because i thought who's gonna buy it my uh-huh. family, my friends, and that's it, you know. And if I right now, I I did publish a, another book that is more for self help with other co-authors, and is one of the bestsellers in, right now in Amazon. And uh, and people are buying it. People that I don't even know, you know. I even wrote it with people in Canada, and uh, and no problem. But the way of uh, of a poet or a painter is very different than when you're writing for a novel or um or self-help or things like that is very different mm-hmm. and um how how you have find the way to survive as an artist because i don't uh i do how you envision yourself also at the same time in five years would you want to continue having two jobs because okay. i or just uh, yes, an hard, artist or, a teacher and an artist um, because I want to create more and I want to do this full time, but mm-hmm. I don't know that my art is at a moment where I can do that, where I can survive off just my art. So I have to teach, because uh, that's a steady income and it gives me healthcare, right? Um, but it may be in five years. By then, hopefully, I'll have another degree, one where I can teach um, the art, where I can teach writing or poetry, um, and be have the time to be creating more. Um, so hopefully in five, and then that's a, about a five-year plan, I think. Uh, how do I survive now? Well, what, I mean, teaching doesn't pay much either. So the art supplements, you know, um, and I have to do, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a hustle because we have to do different things. Uh, I host an open mic that pays me a little bit of money for hosting. Um, sometimes I got a commission from the city and I did a poem for, for, an art feature. I don't think actually I'm not allowed to say yet what it was, but I got a commission from the city. So I was able to get some money for that. Um, and sometimes people, um, schools will hire uh, poets for a day for a few hours to present and to read at their campus. Um, so that is part of it. And my book sales, um, I guess is not that big because poetry is the, least lucrative of all of the genre of literature out there um i made some books at christmas myself 
and I just put on Facebook. I put a, I put a picture on Instagram, and uh, and I and I made twenty copies of this book, thinking, "Hey, if anybody wants this for their Christmas, I've got a poem, a book of poems for you." And then I ended up having to go back to Kinkos and make more copies, like ten times, and I ended up selling like I don't know, eleven hundred dollars worth of this little book. Uh, so, and that one wasn't published by, I don't get any credit on Amazon for that because it was self-made, self-published. Um, so I'm not on a, on a big seller list, you know, of any sort. Um, uh, my other book through Flower Song Press, um, that one has a sales that, uh, maybe I go to a feature somewhere and people notice me and then they go look it up and then they buy it. Um, but it's very, very, very different. Um, but hopefully in five years, like I said, I'll be able to um, make enough off my speaking and my poetry, my poetry to be how, able to survive. Can you tell all of our spectators how hard it is to publish a book and how long it would take you to write a, a, a book? A book? Oh, that. Well, it, I feel like I was writing my first book like all my life. There are poems there for that, that, were, that were for a long time. And I finally got, finally collected them. And uh, I got frustrated by the process of sending them out for contests and then not winning. And uh, when I finally set put my manuscript together and I sent it to Flower Song and uh, Edward Vidaure uh, emailed me and said, yes, we can publish you. And I, I'm like, oh, wow. So when the process starts, um, you, the first part was just writing the book, writing the, putting the poems together, which took several years. The next part of the process is the editing, the copy editing. Um, it was a good six, eight months after that first email, maybe a year uh, after we actually put it together and put it in a, in a, in a format that we uh, that we all agreed on. Because I had another friend, uh, Joe Reyes Boitel. She um, she was the I guess the editor on uh, it. She looked. She gave it her eye. She had to. You know, she recommended that I place certain poems in different orders uh, in the book, you know, um, because there's there's a uh, there's something to that. You can't just put them all in there. Um, and, and that was, you know, which book, which one are going to be first? Which is going to be last? You have to get blurbs, you know, from people to write about your book and give it recommendations. Um, so it was a it was a long long process. I'm thinking. But the next book is not going to take as long because I already went through it with the first one. I have a question uh, that, that many of authors or many people are considering to actually publish in a book. They have this question, what would you recommend better? And uh, an editorial, like the, um, the one of uh, the Flower Song Press or Amazon? Uh-huh. What it, what it would be. That's not what you what what you want. Um, you can self publish. I have some self published books through Amazon, or now it's called Kindle Direct. I think it's called now. And there are other groups out there where you can self publish. Um, and that that's very very quick turnaround. You do it yourself. Um, you have all of the control. Um, but that also means that you have all of the blame. <laughs> so if you didn't get someone to look over your book and you have misspellings 
or you have bad line breaks or um, your formatting was off, well, that's all on you. When you have a publisher, they usually have somebody else to help out with that process. The other thing that the publisher has that Amazon doesn't is, um, for better or for worse, is a network uh, and a place to where put to put your book at a library, to put it at um, uh, in a bookstore, to take it with them to a conference to sell more books of yours. Um, all of that can happen with a publisher. If you do it through Amazon, you have to do all of that yourself. And some people can do that. Uh, and some people are very good at that self-promotion. I am not very good at that. I'm not a business person. I'm a writer. Um, so I need somebody else to do that for me. And then, uh, you know, my publisher is a small independent press, which means it doesn't have that big network of what we call book slanging, of, you know, but it does, um, it, it is getting bigger. There are bigger presses that will have that network for you. Um, and if you want to submit to them, then, then go for it. The sky's the limit, you know? Uh, but I, I started with a little independent press and, uh, I like the idea of staying with them for, for a little while longer. Um, eventually, if your book is really good and it's picked up, then um, one of the bigger presses will pick it up from your little independent press. Uh, that hasn't happened to me, but I know, I've, I know that, it's, that it's out there, that it's happened to some people. That, that is true. Uh, are you are teaching right now some creative classes of poetry? Uh, right this moment, no. Uh, I did a residency for 10, 10 days in, in Maine uh, about two or three weeks ago. And then I was um, the tournament director for the National Poet, I'm sorry, for the uh, Southern Fried Poetry Slam. And because of those two big events, I didn't, um, I didn't have a class. I didn't start a class or I didn't volunteer to teach a class or anything like that. At the, um, Do you so have something planned for the future? For, for the future? I, I don't, I, not at the moment unless somebody in the viewer viewing audience wants to hire me um, and, and let me know. I am available. Uh, at the moment, I have a new position at a new, new uh, um, I mean, it's not a new school, I'm sorry, but I have a new position at another school, not the same one that I was before. So I have to worry about that. And uh, I, my biggest project right now is an anthology of books written in Tejano Spanglish. Um, and I'm working on that until March, or that's my deadline. So hopefully I'm working on that only till. December so I can finish it um, but that's really the big thing and then there might not be a lot of room or time for um, for, a, for for a big class maybe a workshop here and there um, but yeah I have I have that project to work on and I would love to uh, ask you you can make us the favor to read us one of your poems sure sure this one is called Career Exploration. In seventh grade, we had a class called Career Exploration. We were encouraged to explore different paths in life, to find out what our place might be in the workforce. We took vocational tests, aptitude tests, and vocational aptitude tests, given results and told, you can make excellent auto mechanics, grocers, retail sales clerks, infantry soldiers, and if you try real hard, boys and girls, maybe someday you could be managers. Our field trip was to McDonald's. They showed us how they make them Big Macs so fast, how they build those boxes to put them in, 
Before we left, they made sure that we knew how to punch the time clock. When Ms. Grimley asked what our parents did, we hesitated before saying things like, he fixes cars, she works at Kmart, he drives a truck. What Ms. Grimley didn't know was that our parents were actually engineers, accountants, psychiatrists, teachers. They crossed the border with knowledge and experience, but had to leave their degrees and credentials behind. My father was a teacher, but he exchanged his white collar for a blue one to get a green card. The only time I ever saw him in the classroom was when he visited as a parent, listening to teachers talk to him as if he didn't know anything about pedagogy. He stood in silence despite having so much to say. My father was the most well-educated toll collector on the international border, traded desks and rows for cars and columns. His podium turned into a cash register. He asked people to pay a dollar instead of attention. Our immigrant parents left opportunities for themselves to find better ones for their families. They took the jobs Americans didn't want so their kids could take whatever jobs they wanted. Our immigrant parents started us on a past path to their American dream. My father stopped being a teacher so that I could be one. That is beautiful. I really like it. Thank you very much. Well, uh, would you like to add something else so that people can find you if they want to hire you for <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. Do you mind if I put it in the chat and then like, uh, I'll, I mean, I'll read it out loud, but then if you want to copy it later. Uh, it, yes, it, I, I will put it in the description uh, for so like that people can contact you. You can contact, uh, you can, con and they, so that people know they can contract you for any um for any event they have, or they want to do a poetry read now that we have, we're not in lockdown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now they can, they can hire any of the other poets. Yes. Or... I, I, yeah. I call myself El Tacolico on Twitter and Instagram, um, the Tacoholic. And, um, and then my, uh, to, to be consistent, I have the, the Gmail, uh, El Tacolico at gmail.com. Um, and I'm working on, I don't have a website. My website is down at the moment, so I'm going to have to work on that. Then you're working in an anthology, you mentioned, too. Yes, the, the anthology is called Asina is How We Talk. Okay. And I'm collecting uh, poems from South Texas poets. Um, and some, some, some of them are South Texas uh, expatriates. They, they've, they're from South Texas, but they moved somewhere else. I'm trying to get them back. Um, Carmen Tafoya has... Uh, has agreed to be to write the uh, the um, the prologue or the the forward um, and uh, the introduction, I guess. And um, I've got some others who are excited and wanting to contribute to it. So it'll have some poets that are very uh, recognized and some who are totally new, um, but a, a broad range and a, a range of topics but uh, all of it written in, uh, in a mix of language. Yes, that's, I believe that's part of the, of the zone for the spectators uh, because this is going to be transmitted uh, all around the world. We're going to have a lot of people from New Zealand and things like that uh, oh. are going to be listening to this. Uh, and the zone where we are uh, in South Texas, considered from San Antonio here, uh, is English and Spanish. And uh, and this is part of our culture, where we are. 
my parents are from San Antonio. So, oh, yes. <laughs> and uh, would you like something else to add before I uh, I give no, the notes? Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak a little bit about, about my art. And um, I really, really, I really enjoyed uh, being in this art world and being a creative person. Um, and to, I want to keep creating. That's my, my goal. And to keep um, informing people about our culture, which I think is very, very beautiful and very um, necessary to be expressed. Um, so, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for accepting my invitation. And uh, the next, uh, tomorrow, um, we're going to... When we're gonna be we, we're gonna be airing out uh, on Sunday six, uh, Eddie, wow. and on this on the seventh, if I'm not oh, uh, Monday in Soul Talk, we're gonna have uh, Leonora Piffer. She is a sound alchemist and light code frequency anchor for the New Earth. And the next week, on Sunday in the heart of the artist talk, we're gonna have Victoria Fono. She is also a poet from San Antonio, too. Yes, I know she is. Yeah. Yes. So, thank you very much to everyone. And my name is Monica Ramirez, Warrior of Love. And we are in the heart of the artist talk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to share with you my transformational system, Path to the Heart, that I created just for you. Head over to monicaramireswarrioroflove.com and you will find free resources. In there, you can download a masterclass in how to stop being people pleaser and meditations to get you started.